message, message series as we look towards um, Easter coming up in, in, a, in a month that we are going to look at um, victory that comes through Jesus Christ. And as I'm thinking about victory over the last couple of weeks in particular, um, I was thinking about this story. I, I told this around Christmas. Uh, Wiley, for Christmas, got a basketball goal in our driveway. And so, as it's affectionately called around the Aikens house, we'll often shoot hoops. And so, uh, just a few weeks ago, Wiley and I, in this particular time, were shooting hoops in, in our driveway. And I have our own balls, and we're just shooting, we're talking and whatnot. And all of a sudden, Wiley has a great idea. He says, let's keep score. I said, okay, let's keep score. I said, how do we know who's won? He goes, uh, well, we'll just go to, I think it was like, we'll go to 1,000. I'm like, I don't think my arm can go to 1,000. I said, hey, dinner's in about 10 minutes. Let's see, whoever has the most when we have to go in for dinner is the winner. And he goes, great. And he goes, guess what? I already have 21. <laughs> oh, I'm behind, Okay. So we spend a right around 10 minutes, every bucket is a point. And so we're just shooting, every time one of us makes it, we just kind of keep a verbal count, and we're going, and I'm telling you what, this is, this is not like, oh, dad eased up. He whipped me, okay? And I don't think 21 point uh, head start had anything to do with it. The boy was on fire, and he won. I mean, handedly won in those 10 minutes. And you would have thought, he had won the Super Bowl, okay? The conversation at dinner that night was about him beating me at the game that we played on the driveway. In fact, when we got done, timer went off, it was dinner time, we had to go inside. First thing he says to his mom, I beat dad, right? Every time he talked to his sisters at the dinner table, it was a reminder that he beat me in basketball that night. He was over the moon that he won in our basketball game. And we feel that. You can, you can feel that, right? Because you've won at something, right? right? You know what victory feels like. <clears throat> and you understand kind of that. Whether your team has won or whether you've been a part of a team or an experience that you have won something that meant something to you, you know that feeling and experience of victory. Right, And when I think about victory, when I think about winning, I think about those that are, that are kind of, that they just have the, the title of winner around them. So in my lifetime, <clears throat> I'm, I was thinking about the winners uh, that just kind of naturally came to mind. And so uh, let's uh, see if you might, um, that you would agree with these winners. How about Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods has won 81 championships in his career, in his life. Fifteen of those are majors. He's second all-time on that list, of course, behind Jack Nicklaus. And this is the most amazing stat to me. Out of those 15 majors, seven of those majors he has won by three strokes or more. I mean, it's domination. And I remember, and still, uh, just, a, just a couple of years ago, if the red shirt's on on a Sunday, you're watching, you're watching golf right? Just dominated. He is a winner when it comes to the game of golf. How about Tom Brady? This man has been to 10 Super Bowls and he's won seven of them. Whether you like him or not doesn't matter. He is a winner and he has won seven Super Bowls in his 10 appearances of his entire career. How about Serena Williams? 
24 Grand Slams, four Olympic gold medals. She has won seven Australian Opens, and she has been ranked number one in the world more times than anybody, more days than anybody else. How about Michael Jordan, the only player to have th uh, two three-peats? He's won finals MVP of all six of those championships, 10-time scoring champion in the NBA. He is the highest points per game average in the NBA history. When you think of basketball, there's no debate. He is the greatest of all time. He is a winner when it comes to the game of basketball. I don't know who may come to mind for you when you think about victory and winning, but these are some of the faces that came to mind to me because you can associate them whether you like them or not. That's not the point. They have won and they are known to be winners. And so much of our life and our society and the way we focus in is focused on this next picture. It is a scoreboard. We see life as a score. And you, this doesn't, we don't have to go very far to start applying this, this idea to just everyday kind of life and thinking. We are taught and told, and we feel it within us, that we have to win. Okay? This is why social media is so toxic. Because we feel the desire to win the argument. Right? We feel like that we have to dominate and we have more points at the end of the day. And so life now becomes, what's the score? Who's winning? Why much time is left? Am I going to win this game? Because we feel that we must be like a Tiger Woods or a Michael Jordan and be the greatest and the most winning person, right? That we have all the answers and all the ideas. And if we're not winning at something, then we must be losing. And losing is really bad. Right? That this idea of life is about a scoreboard. We believe it is the most important thing to be on top, to have the most points at the end, win at all cost. We've heard this before. We live it. Think about your, just your personal life, but think about society and culture all around us. We are taught to win at all costs. That it is better to win, than to, and it doesn't matter how you get there, Right, that, that our actions and our attitudes, our words and everything else doesn't matter as long as you have won. I talked about this before, but Michael Jordan was absolutely the worst teammate in history. It was his way or the highway. He was known to have punched two teammates in practices because he wanted it his way. Well, he's a winner. He's a winner. He's allowed to do that is how we would justify it, isn't it? Says, okay, as long as he got those championships, he's allowed to punch teammates. That is not right. And there's a different way of thinking about life. Winning at all costs is not the way of God's people. God's people do not come into a school cafeteria to worship the one true creator of all the universe so that we can be winners. There is a different way of living and thinking about life and it's not the game clock it's the cross of Jesus Christ when I have had opportunities to be with students um, I love to uh, I enjoy being uh, contrarian with them and have and helping them think about different angles and things and this is one of those contrarian ways of thinking about life because 
winning at all costs is so ingrained, not only in us, but in our society, that the idea that God would want us to consider losing is absolutely foreign to us, and especially our students. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a, a text from 1 Peter in just a moment, but I love Peter's letter that we call 1 Peter because it is about being a Christian who lives as a loser, who understands that in their martyrdom, it is better to die in the faith of Jesus than to, to live as a winner in the world around us. There is a different way of coming about and living life today. And what if, what if victory was not only understood differently, but it was applied differently to our lives? What if we saw victory not as being uh, having the most points at the end of the game, but being God's people at the end of the day? The, the cross is the other way to live this life. The cross isn't concerned with the score at the end of the day. The cross is concerned with the person. And victory has already been won in the cross. It doesn't keep score, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Victory was and always will be there through the cross of Jesus Christ. Victory begins right here. Victory begins at the cross. And I think that is a, a monumental, fascinating, anti-cultural way of thinking about victory, the cross. Because think about what the cross was originally intended for. Now today, we'll, we've got them all over our walls in our house. We wear them around our necks, right? The cross is a symbol of grace. It is a symbol of a savior of Emmanuel who came to be with us. But the cross is an instrument of torture originally. The Romans, they figured out very, very good ways of torturing those who were in descent of them. Criminals, but those who were, who were speaking up against Caesar, they would find themselves on instruments like the cross. It was outright, slow, painful murder on the cross. It was an effective way for the Romans to inflict pain and to remind others who was in charge. Yet, the cross does not symbolize that to God's people today. The cross symbolizes and represents life because Jesus found himself on the instrument of death only to conquer it through the empty tomb. And this is odd. This is different Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That the idea that the cross would be victory, that this instrument of death where, where people go to be killed would be victory is foolishness to the ways of the world. We need winners. 
And too often God's church buys into the idea that we need winners. We need people out front. We need people in positions of power. We need to elect people who can, who can carry on our agenda. And God's people do not look at victory in that way. God's people look at victory through the instrument of death. Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It is foolishness to look at the cross and think that is victory. But for God's people... This is where victory begins. It is the power of God at work in our very lives this day. And this cross, this, this victory that begins here is moved. It is conquered. It is overcome. We know God has won. And we share in that victory through the empty tomb. It is this empty tomb here that reminds us, that, that signals to us. That death has been conquered. That's why we can look at the cross, the instrument of death, and see peace and love and sacrifice through Jesus because the cross is always and forever coupled with the empty tomb. The place of death is no longer the place of death. It is now where life lives this very day, where sacrifice leads to victory, where death is overcome, where, where death is conquered once and for all. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the apostle Peter writes to those churches and those Christians who are being martyred for their faith, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter's message continues in this way in his, in, in his letter to the churches in Asia Minor that through resurrection, we have already won. We have a living hope. We have new purpose. Our definition of victory is changed forever through the cross and the empty tomb where Jesus laid and life now is one. Nathan read from John, the Gospel of John chapter 16. And I love this passage of scripture. And um, uh, we're not gonna, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in John 16 today, but I thought it was worth us listening to and hearing Nathan read it this morning because as Jesus has this conversation with his disciples in John chapter 16, in John's gospel, the disciples for the very first time are starting to understand that something is going to happen. Now, for God's people, for the Israelites of the day, what they believe was going to happen is the way we would define victory even this very day. That the Savior would come and he would overthrow the Romans. Push them out of David's kingdom and become the new David over God's people. That victory would be won by conquering the physical borders or, or, and extinguishing the conquering Roman government. But that's not what happens here. The disciples begin to hear this message, I think clearly and John's gospel for the first time, that victory is not going to be won by pushing out the oppressor. It's going to be won by the Savior on the cross. That troubles will abide in this world, but guess what? In Jesus Christ, in Him, He has, he has overcome the troubles. He has overcome the world, and in Him we have overcome. We have found Victory. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 5 for just a moment. 1 John chapter 5. John's first epistle 
And in 1 John chapter 5, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, he's born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we, that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Verse 5. Who is it that, is, that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And John begins to push to those who read his letter that victory for the Christian is not about where we are or position or status in this world. It's not about power. It's about transformation through Jesus. That victory has been found in a new way. And Jesus is our victory. Jesus is our victory. And he is your victory Jesus is the victor of death. Where victory begins at sacrifice on the cross, victory is found in the empty tomb because death is supposed to be there, but life is found in that empty tomb. Jesus has overcome the impossible. He has overcome the great score deficit. He has overcome in this world, and he has brought victory to those who believe and follow in his footstep. Victory isn't settled at that scoreboard. It's not determined by what we have done here. Victory is at the cross. Victory is found in an empty tomb. Victory has conquered this world through Jesus, and we bask in that victory. So now, I want to turn to Revelation chapter 5 in just a second. I, I, wanna, I want to, uh, for a moment... Stay with this, this, uh, this point, Jesus is our victory. And I want to use Revelation 5 to not only support uh, this idea, but to use it to kind of land our plane this morning and help us think. My, my objective with this particular message this morning is to leave encouraged and refreshed and reminded that Jesus is your victory. And Revelation chapter 5 is a wonderful place to do just that. Uh, Revelation is one of my favorite books. Um, I think I say that a lot. I think they're all my favorite. But I like Revelation. Uh, the book of Revel uh, uh, Revelation is a wonderful book that is not about finding the right date for the end of the world. Okay, It's misused that way. When you read, when, when you read apocalyptic literature, that is Revelation, Okay, we have to use our imagination. So... As we read bits of Revelation chapter 5 this morning and we listen to it and you follow along, imagination is absolutely necessary to be in the book of Revelation. Because what imagination does is it helps us understand and to begin to wrestle with and try to, and try to figure out and, and, and walk along John as he tells this, this fantastical story that is taking place in the book of Revelation. And so all the... 
All the imagery that John talks about, all the flowery imagery that John speaks of is a way for us to use our imagination to try and to, to follow along and to understand all these wonderful aspects of the story. And we're in the middle of a story in Revelation chapter 5. In chapter 4, John has literally entered into the throne room of heaven. I think that is a, that is a literal thing. That's not just something John is just telling the story. John has entered into the throne room of God, and John is now telling the story of his experience in the throne room of God, and he's using this, this imaginative language to help us understand something that cannot be described. Okay? So as John enters into the throne room of heaven in chapter 4, what we find is, is that the one sits at the center of the throne room on his throne and around the one who sits on his throne is worship upon worship. Everyone's pointed to the one at the center of the throne and everyone is worshiping. There's all kinds of things going on in chapter 4 that we don't have time for this morning. But as you enter into chapter 5, the narrative takes a slight shift. And this is through John's, uh, who writes the book of Revelation. Chapter 5, let's pick up in verse 1. Who sees all this, this fantastical worship taking place. Then, he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Spoiler, that's God. There was a scroll with writing on both sides. And it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Stop there for just a moment because... What John is building and seeing before, uh, before uh, sharing with us in the throne room of God is God who sits on his throne has a seal. And the seal, the scroll, cannot be broken. And there is no one in all of God's creation that can open this scroll, can break the seal to see what is written there. And this causes such emotion in John, he weeps, he cries because nothing can be done to open this scroll that sits there on God's throne. But the, one of the elders that we've learned from in chapter 4 comes to John and says, Do not weep, do not be scared, for there is someone, and it is the Lion of Judah. And it's this image right here. It is the image of the lion that takes over in this story. The power and the might the fierceness, the lion of Judah, the king of, of, of all of Israel, the root of David has come. And this king and this power and this might, he is here. And he is able because he has triumphed. The king has won. The lion has conquered. And this lion can open this seal. Now, 
That image needs to stick with us because this is wonderful. Verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne and circled by the four living creatures and the elders. This is not someone different. This is a stark juxtaposition. This is a beautiful emergency a break intended to cause whiplash on us to make each and every one of us pause. The lion that we have imagined, the lion of Judah, the king and the power who has triumphed and conquered that the elder speaks about is now this, a, lot, a lamb. It is helpless in nature. It not only needs adults, humans, it can't do anything, I mean almost anything on its own. And this is the same person. And the visual that comes in, in, in Revelation chapter 5 is meant to be startling to us because the lion and the power and the triumph and the conquering that has occurred is not different. But the one who has conquered and the one who has overcome and the one who has brought a, a, a victory to all is the slain lamb. This is where power lies. It is vastly different. We think lion. We think power. We think conquering. But it is the lamb that has won. It is the slain, precious lamb of God that has won. Victory begins at the cross. Victory is known through the empty tomb. And it is not known through the power of winning at the end of the day. It is known through the lamb that was slain. The Lamb of God is able to open the scroll that causes John to weep. That no one in all of God's creation can open. It is this stark, beautiful change that is intended to cause us to think that victory is not found in the power and in the influence and in the positions that you and I may, that you and I may think. It is found in the helpless Lamb. I'm picking up in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 5. That lamb, that slain lamb of God went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. We're going to stop there uh, with Revelation 5. I do encourage you to continue reading Revelation 5 on your own. It is a beautiful passage of Scripture that reminds us not only that victory is found in the Lamb, but Jesus' death and resurrection are our central theme of life. It is the centering piece of who we are. It is where victory is found. Not by dominating, not by punching your teammates in the name of Jesus. It is found in the precious Lamb of Jesus. Um, Laura, Laura uh, has a friend 
who just outright reminds her she doesn't, she doesn't believe in all this. This is all hogwash, this Jesus thing, right? Doesn't make sense. And Laura continues to build friendship with this person. Uh, my wife is, is one, of the, one of the best evangelists I've ever known. And as she continues to build relationships with this particular person who, who just outright says no, 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 um, she was telling me just the other day that this person uh, texted her and, and let her know that she was having a conversation with someone else. And she remembered something Laura had said to her previously. And so they went and Googled it. And then all of a sudden they found themselves in a rabbit hole of Bible project videos. And she said, I, we just kept watching and watching and we, and we kept thinking, we kept talking about what you had said this one time and watching these Bible videos. And this is what the person said. I actually kind of believe this. Now, you may hear that. I kind of actually believe this and go, well, that's not a victory. And I'm saying, wait a second. It is a victory. Someone who says, I don't believe in Jesus. It's all hogwash. You know what the world says to do with that? Throw them out. They're useless to us. But people are not commodities. They are precious souls created by God. You know what victory is? Sometimes it looks like someone saying, yeah, I kind of start to believe this. It is building relationships and being present and being loving because victory is not the lion who dominates. It is the slain lamb who sacrifices. And God's people do not find victory. I know ministers, by the way, who keep inside, the, when we used to have real Bibles, they keep tallies of all their baptism, all the baptism they used to do. How asinine is that, right? Victory is not found in our accomplishments. It is found in His accomplishment on the cross, and we find it in the empty tomb. Victory is found through the Lamb. It is found through victories when people say, yeah, I kind of start to believe this. That's victory. And let's put it another way. If Jesus' death and resurrection is our central theme, we can think of it this way. His championship is worth the parade. It is worth our celebration. This happened yesterday. I was at the grocery store. This is, I'm ending, I promise. I was at the grocery store. You're thinking, oh, he, this happened yesterday. He's telling a story. He's going to go on for a while. Uh, I was at the grocery store yesterday. We're shopping, going up and down the aisles, checking off the list as I go. And as I'm at, at one of the aisles at Crest, there's a guy wearing a 2021 Atlanta Braves championship hoodie. And so I stopped. I said, I was at game six. He's like, that's awesome. I said it was great because the Astro fans just kind of deflated through the night. It was great, right? So we start talking about game six. And he's from Atlanta. And like we spent a good 10 minutes in one of the aisles at Crest talking about this victory of the Atlanta Braves in the 2001 Game 6 World Series. And we had this, this wonderful conversation. And I was reminded of just how uh, jubilant joyous victory causes us, right? Wiley beating his dad was one of the greatest things that he has ever experienced. Winning game six of the world, being a part of a championship and victory is worth the celebration. And when you go back to Revelation chapter five tonight, notice what all of heaven does in victory at the Lamb's sacrifice. They praise God. They worship him. 
They give them everything they have because it is worth their time and their energy and their focus because God has done what is impossible. He has defeated death. Do you believe that? That you believe Jesus is your victory? Are you ready and willing to stand in, in the aisles of crest to make relationship with people who don't believe, people who have different, different ways of thinking about, have different lifestyles in us, but are you willing to be like Jesus and know that victory is found in the Lamb, that victory is found in a relationship that shares Jesus and His love?